through the book of Romans, the very last chapter. Romans chapter 16 this morning. I think before we really get started, let's just read it together and uh, we can talk. Romans chapter 16. I commend you, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at, at I don't know how to say that, Senthre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stichus. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsmen, Herodoian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, and Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater and my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writing has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this record, this letter that has been passed down and preserved through the ages that we might use it to know you better so that you might work in our hearts and transform us into who and what it is that you have made us to be. To you be glory forever indeed, O our God. And we ask today that as we look at this and discuss it and apply it to ourselves, that you by your spirit would be at work in our hearts to teach us, to make us more like you. 
I do ask, Lord, as always, that you'd smooth my wrinkles and fill in my low spots this morning. And we pray that this time would give you glory in your name. Amen. So, the last chapter of the book of Romans. We've been here for a while. I, didn't, I actually didn't go back and look to see when we began this book, but it's, a, it's a, been a sizable chunk of time. And we're going to go into a little bit of, what it, of uh, what's there in this passage and how it, how it does apply to us and teach us. But uh, before we do, I, I just want to, I guess, maybe lay out a, a question or maybe a, something to ponder on as we look at it and as we finish and conclude this letter today, this book. Uh, every, time I, every time we finish a book, I always... Uh, it's a little bit bittersweet. I love go, you know, going through these, these passages piece by piece and bit by bit and how we can learn from it. But I always, when we come to the end of it, I always wonder. There's always this nagging question in my mind. And that question is, has it changed us? You know, Not only me, myself, but our, our church has this knowledge or this study, this inquiry into God's word for us, to us. Has it changed us? And I think back to all the, that we've learned over the last, probably the better part of a year, how, uh, of all the things that we've talked about in this, in this book, in this, in this letter, that, and just to highlight a few, that, that God is being revealed. Praise the Lord, you know? That God is being revealed through everything from creation itself to our personal relationships with one another. He's being revealed. He's being shown and made known. Another one, that he has judged, has judged, and is judging by his word, by Christ, that creation. That things are in motion inside of it that is his dividing and discerning and, and, and movement. We've learned that he is at work within us. He, the God, the same God that called creation into being, loves us, knows us, and is at work within us to transform us into being like him. It's huge things, huge things that we've covered. And that we're being transformed through our belief and obedience to what he has told us. We talked about how it's not through the old law and the rules and following the regulations and the things that were transformed and that were saved and that were made into what he wants us to be, but it's by God reaching inside of us and changing our hearts, changing our wills, those things that we desire, those things that make us who we are, changing those things so that we can live real life, fully given over to who he is, like a sacrifice, like a living sacrifice, which is from God. And through God and to God. Totally Him. We've talked about the freedom that that means for us. Living a life fully given over. It means that we can live at peace with one another and with God and even with the world. As He overcomes the world. Together with God and with one another. I, I ask myself, all you know, looking back, have, have we let it in? Have we been changed by it, or is it just another book that we remember going through and that we just, you know, put in a jar and put it on the shelf? That's the temptation. So I think about that. And think about the, the, as the ages go by and as God preserves his word, we were 
we were singing this morning, and I hesitate to share this because I don't want to make this longer than it has to be or add too much that doesn't need to be there. But it was, it was impressed upon me, so I'll share it. So I stand over there by Jeb every, every week when we sing, and from that chair over there, I, I often look out that window, and I can see just the reaching tops of a couple trees. And, yeah, some of you can see it too. You know, you look over there, you can see just kind of the, they sort of reach up into the, into the view against the blue skies and on these beautiful mornings, praising God. It's kind of a good visual for me. But I was thinking about this passage that we're talking about today and about how those trees there probably weren't there when this was written. No, they weren't there. They're not that old. And in the place of those, you know, those, the, the reaching tips of those tall trees that have been there for a long time, longer than you or me, but they're there and they reach up. And, but as we look past through, through history, those trees weren't there. Different trees were probably there. And, and it's interesting, isn't it, to think that the trees grow up and they reach and they spend 100 years reaching for the sky and growing and glorifying God with what they do, what they're made to do. And then they age and they get sick, or they are toppled or cut down, and the other trees grow up in its place. And they'll be here for a time, but then they'll be gone. Will they be remembered? And this list of people that Paul uh, addresses in this letter, to me it was kind of like some trees that were growing. They were doing what it was that God had asked them to do, and this is the record of their reaching, a record of their growing, a record of their obedience. Now they're gone and they would not even be remembered if someone hadn't addressed them in this letter. It's kind of interesting to me that we're all just sort of like trees, you know, reaching, growing in obedience, doing what God made us to do. Now, this list of people. It's easy for us a lot of times, many times it's very, very easy for us to read through these lists of names and they're hard to pronounce and they're a little bit removed from uh, our normal thinking. So it's very easy, like when you read numbers, right, to just kind of like get da 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 Okay, through that chapter, whew, you know. It's easy to do that sometimes with these lists, with these lists of names. But they're important. They're a record of God working in people that were just like us. Just a couple of highlights. This is a long list and, and, uh, of names. But first, Paul uh, points out Phoebe. And that's not, you know, here's, we have a Phoebe. Where'd she go? Oh, she's helping with the kids. Phoebe, we're not given a lot, but the little that we can glean from history, many believe that Phoebe may have actually been the one who delivered this letter. And therefore, Paul was commending her to the church in Rome with the letter. We're not for sure about that, but we do know that she uh, was a patron. She was a person that sponsored or made, had resources that enabled some of the things in the early church to happen. Supported the ministry of Paul and others. A woman deacon, some scholars have noted which was also a, a, a revolutionary thing. The Christian church was one of uh, few institutions that acknowledged women as equal with men in doing work. So Phoebe, her name lives on in this passage. 
and she's to be remembered. Prissa and Aquila. It says there that they risked their necks. Now, we don't, some uh, assume that this is figurative language, right? Figurative, like they, they, they hung their necks out for me. They, they risked for me. There are some scholars who, uh, who would posit, who would suggest that this was more than just a, a figurative they risked for me, but they literally risked their lives for me. Some scholars, uh, one commentator I read, said that this was possibly connected to the, the trouble in Ephesus that you read in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15.32, talking about fighting with beasts. We know that Christians were not well treated in the old days. And it could be, very well could be, that they risked themselves very physically for Paul. They also hosted the church in Rome. They're sending their greetings because this was a, a couple that hosted the church. They met in their house. Epinatus was the, the first convert in Asia. Is that significant? Yeah. Cool. Paul remembers and sends his greetings to him. Many others listed here as hard workers. Andro Andronicus and Junius, uh, some, of the, some of the names are, they change depending on which translation that you read. Uh, fellow prisoners were imprisoned for the gospel. We don't know where, maybe in Rome since that's where he's greeting them, but they, it says that they were uh, apostles which is not a light term. The apostles were, were those that were sent. They were missionaries, the sent ones. There are debates about whether they were men or women. We don't really know, but we do know that they had paid a price for their discipleship and for their apostleship. And they are here remembered. <laughs> In verse uh, 12... We have the name Tryphania and Tryphosa. Their names literally mean dainty and delicate. Isn't that something? However, their hard labors are noted. Rufus, here in uh, verse 13, may have been the son of Simon of Cyrene. You know who he was? The guy who, was, who carried Jesus' cross. Why are these names important? Again, we talked about, you know, a record. We talked about them, uh, how interesting and how powerful it is that there were these standards, these people that were of note that impacted the church. But it also reminds me of something else and something that we, can, we as, as a church can carry away from this. And, and that is just that of the powerful unity that is ours as followers of Jesus. We are in this together. This is a fellowship. I like to think of a fellowship in terms of a, gr a group of people that are on a common journey with a common purpose. There is something strong that ties us together. And it reminds us, as Paul and, and those that write this letter are, are naming these people, it reminds us that our journey, that our fellowship together is and is intended to be, and continues to be, personal. 
Christ's church, as it began and as it grew and as it uh, sustained and as it exists today, is made up of people. Not of buildings, not of articles of incorporation, not of bylaws, but of people. You know what this means? People matter. As if it's a surprise to us, but sometimes we even forget that, don't we? His church is made of people, and people matter. We see in these greetings names, people, who have made a difference, and whose lives are evidence. They're evidence of Christ, that he changed people, that he used people, that their obedience his transformation and his qualities made a difference, even for us. Even for us today, these people can be evidence for us and strength for us. It is good for us to just be reminded again and again and again. It's good for us to be reminded to keep our brothers and our sisters in mind. See, Paul, as he sends his greetings to these people, do you suppose that when Phoebe came and she had this letter, this news, this, this uh, letter from Paul, do you suppose that as it was read, probably in their church, maybe even in the home of Prissa and Aquila, as it was read, this, 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 we got a letter from Paul, as it was read, what do you think that did in their hearts when they heard their names mentioned and, the, and greetings sent to them? Do, I mean... If they probably swelled up, right, their hearts with joy, with, with knowing that their brother remembered them and thanked them and sent his personal greetings. It's good to remind one another as we go out through our days, as we journey together, it's good to remind one another that they are in our hearts, others that they're in our hearts, and that they're in our prayers, that they are in our, and I was you know, in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our prayers. It gets mixed. It's a cliche, right? So that it loses some of its meaning. What it means is that when... Just back up for a second. Prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is that exchange of wills between us and God, right? It's where we, 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 we reveal our will to God and we expose our will to His will. There's an exchange, a giving and receiving of wills. So, your prayers throughout the day may vary, right? The things that are sort of on your concern list, your wants, you know, like I want this thing, or I want that thing, or I don't want that thing, that's your will showing. As you exchange it with God, it's important for others to be in that will. Thinking about how, you know, Bryce is doing today, or how Sean's doing today, or how Joe's doing today, or how Tony's doing today. It shows that there's an interconnectedness that is important, and that it's important when we share that others are, are in our prayers, our will, our thoughts. Good news is today that we don't have to, you know, give Phoebe a letter and have her run it across half the world to go share that with one another. We have all kinds of amazing tools, right? Name one way that you could communicate that someone is on your mind today. Did you say courier? What? 
a text message. I'm not very good at that. I'm trying. We ought to communicate with each other. Let one another know that they're on our minds, that we're praying for them, that we're willing for them. Ultimately, you know, this list, I think the bottom line with all that I've tried to say this morning is we're not independent. We're not intended to be independent. We're not made to be dependent either. What are we? Interdependent. I depend on you and you depend on me and together that makes us both stronger and builds his kingdom. Maybe before we get into the instruction that Paul offers in this passage, if you will, I would offer you an exercise. Maybe for you note takers, something that you can think about a little bit or take some time to ponder. If you were to send a letter like Paul, these epistles are cool. That's what they're called, these epistles, these letters that were sent to the churches in different places. If you were to do that, if you were going to send a letter either to this church or to, to another church, maybe far away, pick a church. Maybe one in another city, maybe one in another state or another country. But somewhere that you know people. Who are the people that would be on your list? Who would be the people that, that influenced your life? Or influenced your ministry? Or encouraged you? Or whose life and their deeds and their good, their good work for the kingdom has reached your ears? Who would be on your list? That's a good exercise. It is. I would encourage you to write it down. Who's had an effect? Good for us to remember one another as we interact with God's kingdom and try to see it built. And we do. I'm encouraged every day by this, by this group that God has assembled about how he is at work with one another. We, I think uh, some of us uh, do a very good job of telling one another that others could do better. I'm probably one. But after Paul sends his greetings, he does give a little bit of instruction. He appeals to the, to the people. The, the Greek word in here, he says, uh, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. The word in there, uh, the appeal is parakaleo. It means I, I beg you. I beseech you. It's important. It's not just like, hey, could you guys? It's, I beg you, folks. I beg you. To watch out for those who would cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. This is kind of a common sense warning in our day, but at the same time, it's one that we can all be reminded of, is to watch for those who by their own appetites that is, things that they want to get out of it, would deceive those who are naive. He warns the church. It's, all, it's almost like it was an afterthought, you know. He almost goes into his final personal greetings, and he says, oh, but wait a second, wait a second, I beg you. Watch out for those who would divide, deceive the hearts of the naive for their own appetites, he encourages them. He says, now your obedience is known to all. That would be great, right? To hear that sort of the head, your head guy from far away, he, he writes to you and says, your obedience is known. 
It is known that you are all an obedient church, but he wants them to be wise to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Not let those who would deceive in. Now there's two different things there, and I don't want to take too long today, but one, watch out for those who would deceive, right? And one of the beauties of one of the beauties of the church as it exists today is that we have the freedom and the ability to talk to one another, you know? And that is something that we ought to talk to one another about, right? If you feel that your brother or your sister is one, either being manipulative or two, being fooled, we're here to help one another. And so we ought to be on our guard. But the other side of it is that Paul's intention here, his request is a difficult one, not only to watch for deceivers and dividers and people that would place obstacles. We talked about that before. But he says that they should be wise to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. That is a more complicated (laughs) ask in my book. Here's what I mean. How do we celebrate and encourage innocence instead of celebrating evil and perversion and gossip and dirt, etc.? What is our natural tendency? Our natural tendency is to, is to catch wind of something salacious and what's that? Our curiosity gets us up. Or kids do this especially, but adults have been known to do it too. Like mention something, you know, mention something. And then one of the more innocent kids, what's that? And they're like, you don't know about, you know, fill in the blank, right? Sort of dangle some salacious filth in front of them. Adults do it too. How do we celebrate and protect innocence This is something I think about quite a bit. How much time and energy do we spend on one or the other? Let me just give you an example. So we know we're supposed to protect ourselves, right? Paul just said, hey, protect yourselves from people who would deceive. Well, so now we've got our, we've got our guard dog brain on. And we're pretty good at sensing threats. Why are we good at sensing threats? Because we're threatened a lot. Whether it's by the schemers or the scammers or the evil people or the ideas or our political enemies or our moral enemies. We're pretty good at identifying, isolating, and attacking threats. We think about these things a lot. I hear them in conversation quite a bit. We talk about and we defend against lying. We defend against stealing. We defend against deceiving and twisting and perverting and all that would steal and rob and deceive. We spend a lot of time and energy on these things. Got so many pages, I lost one. How much time do we spend talking about Listening about, learning about, sharing about things like love. 
versus how much we spend on defending ourselves against other things. Does love ever come up in the conversations at coffee time? How about truth? Does truth ever come up at your conversations with your buddies when you're talking about the newest and the, the, the news or whatever? Does honor ever come up? Does courage ever come up? Virtue? Godliness? Light? We see, how, see what I mean? We spend so much energy talking about the things that come against us that we, that we steal from the time we could have or the energy that we could expend talking about that which God has given us to do something about it. Philippians 4, 8, you know the passage. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent or worthy of praise, talk about, think about these things. That's an outright instruction from Scripture. And I know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because when evil comes against us, there's an urgency, right? We don't want to get stolen from. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want others to be deceived. So we get up in arms, but how much energy do we spend thinking about those things that we're told to think about. What's good and right and proper? Where's the justice? Where's courage? Where's honor? Where's virtue? The truth is, getting to the end here, is, I, I wrote here in my notes, the capstone of hope. Here's what Paul says. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's awesome. I would love to get that letter. You know? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. As sure as spring is coming, who's, who doubts that spring is going to come? Eventually. Right? It's coming. We all know. We're sure we would, we would bet the farm on it. Spring is coming. As sure as spring is coming, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. It's true. We can take that to the bank. And what a capstone of hope that is for these people who need encouragement. We need encouragement. Paul sends a few more personal notes. I like uh, verse 22, I, Tertius. So apparently Paul is dictating this letter and this Tertius guy is, he's writing. He really sends his little greetings in there. It's kind of cool. A few personal notes. But Paul ends with this doxology, this blessing, and giving glory to God, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has now been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. It's <gasps> a long sentence, right? To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And he ends his letter. I pray the same for us, church, that 
we would remember, acknowledge, remind one another, walk in the truth that we have just learned. Just as if we would had received this letter. Today, it doesn't actually take that long. Maybe today, if you have some time, just read through it from start to finish. The book of Romans, it's 16 chapters, it's not that long. Take it in as if it were written to you. Let it wash over you. Let these truths, these hopes, these encouragements sink in and let them change us. That's the point, that they would. All for the glory of God. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you again for this piece of scripture that we've had the privilege of studying and walking through together as your people. And Lord, I do pray, as I did before, Lord, that you would allow it to sink into our hearts, allow it to sink into our minds, let one another seek into our, uh, seep into our thinking and our feeling and our desiring, that, Lord, we might be as we were designed to be as your body, interconnected and giving glory to you. So, Lord, change us. Enable obedience in our lives, for we are yours. And it's in your name that we ask. Amen.